Before I get to today's episode, I want to let you know about episode 300 of BitDepth, which will be live. On March 19th at 7pm, you can watch me squirm amid the barrage of impossible questions that I subject my guests to. Then, you can ask me even more questions right to my face, challenge my contradictory beliefs, ask for my stance on controversial topics, find out who my favorite beetle is. More details in the description. Theme music! Hello, and again, welcome to BitDepth. I'm Santiago Ramones. Across from me with the power of the internet is... Uh, Justice Cow Jessica Kyan. <laughs> Hi, thank you so much for doing this with me. Thank you for uh, the willing back and forth through Instagram and then email. So um, yeah, uh, I'll keep this part shorter. I'm a big fan of yours. And so... Uh, yeah, let's just start with where did the name Justice Cow come from? Um, it came from Ben. Um, ben was, it's Ben Levin, and he's my husband. And um, we started dating like 12 years ago. <laughs> so he's been a big part of my life. And um, he would just like have different like pet names for me and uh Jessica turned into Justice Cow. Oh yeah yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh I have a nickname that only like two people call me because of that kind of like bastardization of pronunciations of names. And so yeah, uh mm -hmm. so like Santiago turned into Salty Ego which then turned into <laughs> egg. And so I have two specific friends that just call me egg. And it's like, it's not like I like the nickname, but it's more yeah. that I can't do anything about it. <laughs> I like it. I think egg is a pretty cool nickname. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then like, I guess, why did that sort of become the identity of Justice Cow? And then like, why did it... Uh, stick <laughs> um i think just uh you know is one of those you got to find a name for the project that you have and i wanted it to be like me even if it was just me singular rather than us as a group and me singing um which it started as and um i remember we voted and my brother was in the band at that point my brother Tyler and uh he did not like it <laughs> and then he quit wow <laughs> so <laughs> I knew it was powerful <laughs> at <Yeah>. that point <laughs> <laughs> uh I guess I know I'm chasing this rabbit so much but like well, why did he quit like it, it was just that much like I can't be in a cow band what like <laughs> <laughs> no I think I think he just kind of realized like I think at that point in time both him and Ben uh were like very outspoken and I think he just realized like oh like this is kind of like the wrong combination 
And I was like really bummed, but then it ended up being like he could play on my albums. And um, it's like, and he moved to New York uh, like a year after that. So it ended <laughs> up being it. like, yeah, it's totally, totally the right thing. And, um, but yeah, it was just like, I think it was just one of the many things where we're like, this isn't like the perfect fit of this group. But. Sure, sure. Uh, so now to my usual first question, uh, how did you first get started in music? Mm, I think I was very influenced by my dad and my brother, Tyler, um, and my mom. Yeah, they all like played first around me and um, my mom would like sing Beatles songs on her acoustic guitar and my dad like was a keyboard player and um, wrote songs and uh, like had music going on all the time. And then once my older brother Tyler started like playing in band and stuff like that, playing saxophone, I was just like, wow, this, this could be really cool. And um, he kind of peer pressured me into joining marching band. Um, and that ended up being a huge, really like important moment for Would me. Would you play in marching band? I, the first year I, um, the marching band, it was the first, like my school opened the year I was a freshman. So it was like a tiny school and there was like 25 people and we didn't even have like proper uniforms. We just had like polo shirts. It was like really, really low, low key. Um, and so I was in the pit and I was like, given lessons how to play like marimba and stuff but then after that year uh I joined the drum line which was like so fun and helped me actually like read rhythms rather than fake rhythms which is like as a when I played like cello in orchestra at that point and I was faking a whole lot so I like learning how to read really was like important what is, what do you consider to be your primary instrument if you have one or just like a slew of them? <laughs> I think my voice, I think that's like, just that, that makes like the most sense. There's the least like separation between my ideas and what happens. Yeah. Uh, I'm realizing that the question that I asked first is not actually my first question. My first question is, who are you and what do you do? And I should probably give other people <laughs> the information as to like where all of this connects, because, uh, yeah, I'm going to walk us through your journey to where you are now. But yeah, who are you? What do you do? <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I I am Jessica, Justice Cow. Um, I... I like am a musician and an artist and um, I like to make music and videos and art and now uh, paint furniture is a new, a new skill <laughs> that I've developed since moving. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I guess going back to your musical journey, so going through uh marching band and stuff uh i guess 
after that, was there a point where you realized that music is what I have to do with my life? Like, was there a moment or was it just a gradual thing? (laughs) I think I like, I remember in high school, like taking like a, 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 like a really, those like general ed, like dumb classes about our futures. And I remember like at that point being like, yep, I want to do music. And, um, I remember it was like really mixed messages from my dad because he was like really jazzed that I like wanted to pursue music, but also he had like stopped pursuing music to like make more money and be a dad. And so some, I I wouldn't necessarily know like what version I would get. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so then I guess college, how was that, uh, approached decision made? Yeah. (laughs) Um, at that point I was like, I was playing with my brother a lot and, um, like I thought I wanted to be like a jazz funk bass player and I like really liked Marcus Miller and I was like, I don't know what it'll be, but something in this area. And, um, I remember I like, I didn't know about Berkeley College of Music, but I, was just looking up like artists that I like and where they studied. (laughs) And so I think it was like Roy Hargrove went to Berkeley for a spell and then went to the new school after. And I was just like, oh my gosh, this school has like 50 bass teachers. (laughs) Like what? That's crazy. And I remember that being like, okay. And then my parents were like, not too pleased about (laughs) about that idea um so did you go for bass specifically or did you have like a range of instruments that you were or voice as well (laughs) I applied like on bass and um I also like there was this weird thing I don't know if it was just like my perception of the way things were but like there was definitely some like oddness around the everyone's perception of vocalists and it was kind of like if you're vocalist you're like less than and so I like really strongly like dug in like I am a bass player first and I I didn't even take any like vocal lessons which was so stupid because I could have studied with someone great. And instead I had to like do it all on my own after. But yeah, I, I definitely feel that, uh, I went to music school as well. And, uh, I did study voice for two years before changing to production. And yeah, that perception of like, Oh, vocalists are like dumb. They don't really know music. They don't really like, they don't know what they're doing. And you know, I, I went to two different schools and it was that way, like no matter where you go. It's so not cool. Yeah. And it kind of creates this weird sort of self-fulfilling prophecy, even for the vocalists themselves that is like, oh, vocalists don't really know music. And so the vocalists themselves are like, oh, I'm not going to like 
bother. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no one expects me to know. So I won't. Yeah. Ugh, it's uh if we could just shake all those <laughs> young musician students like no. Just just try. Just do it. Yeah. It's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, I definitely ended up like tutoring several vocalists in music theory. So that's the <laughs> Yeah, so I guess uh, I feel like a lot of this journey ends up being talking about like how important like college was but like for people who go to college it kind of is really important I, like that is where a lot of the connections come from so like what were the connections that you formed in school um well I met Ben um <laughs> and Ben connected to me me to the rest of Ben me um I also was an RA while I was in school so I got to know a lot of students. Um, I think a lot more than average just because of the job. Like it was, you know, I had to know who was on the floor and um, talk to a lot of people every day. And um, yeah, I, I feel like the school part was super important for starting the connections but I also feel like so much of where I found my own voice was afterwards and like through different programs and different like, um, like reading different authors and different perspectives on how you can be creative, mainly because like in school you have the bubble of the community and the teachers, the mentorship, the opportunities are a lot of times built in. And then like afterwards, not only is that community dissipated all over the world, but also the structure is gone. And for me, that was so hard um, to like, you know, I went from like, having like teaching jobs and ha going like teaching at a, um, in a private elementary school after school program and like working every, you know, Monday through Friday at two, like not having a formal job and like making animations and things like that, where I have to make up my own hours and yeah, just like less and less structure throughout the last several years has made it be like, ah, what do you, when people say like, oh, if I didn't have this job, I, uh, I would be making music all the time. And I can, I can say, uh, that's just, uh, it's just the grass is greener, you know? What do you wish you had learned in college that they didn't teach you or what's a big lesson going into the real world? that uh, maybe even they did talk to you about in college, but like never clicked until you got into the real world and had to make money yourself? Um, I think like a, a thing that is crazy that Ben actually did that like, like no one else I know did uh, was like in these um, like, 
your homework assignments, your projects for school, like actually putting your whole self into them and making them like part of your work. Um, I've, I would say like, I wish I had done more of that. Um, yeah, I, I think, um, I think maybe my, like one of my favorite teachers at Berkeley, um, ended up being the like art history teacher. And he was like, he's like a person that like seemed, uh, like he was like a time traveler or something. Like he talked about the 1800s, like he was there and, um, to a scary degree, like, (laughs) um, and just, I, I feel like some of his advice, like how to, how to like go on past college and also like how to look at the world and things like that really stuck with me. Yeah. So then, uh, tell me about your own music, I guess, where in all of this did you start doing your music, your art? How did that, uh, connect to everything? Um, so I, I started, um, I wrote some songs when I was like a really little kid, but, um, I remember like, I didn't really have privacy. (laughs) And so like either my like, you know, genuine poems and songs and stuff would get like read by my brothers and like, I would get made fun of for them. So I just kind of stopped after that. And um, I think the point in which I picked it up again was like, I think at Berkeley, I was like talking to friends and feeling like I was listening to so much music the first year. Um, I remember just like (laughs) we had like a between Napster and Spotify system where you could download other people's music and movies and media if it was on their computer and they were on the Wi-Fi. And they if they stopped being on the Wi-Fi at any point in your download, then it just didn't finish. <laughs> so like you just wouldn't have it. I think that's like torrents basically, but yeah, yeah. In a exactly. local network. <laughs> yes. And so it was just like, I could hear all this music that I never heard of and hear what other people were listening to. And, um, it was super influential. And I was just like, wow, I'm actually listening to like jazz and funk, the thing I thought I would be doing, um, this much. And I'm listening to like songs and lyrics this much. And maybe, Mm, I think that might be my favorite thing right now. Yeah. uh, Going to school, I felt that same thing too. And not just for myself, but like the community as well. Like people would be talking about like contemporary and popular music and these would be like classical musicians. And it's like our favorite music isn't even the music that we're learning in school. So it's like, why are we even doing this thing? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, I guess, uh, who are your more most influential artists? Who's your favorites? Um, I think, I think Sufjan Stevens is definitely like 
number one, just because he has been like super influential to me for the longest. And yeah, just like, I, I feel like I noticed like things in his music that I hadn't noticed in other people's and amazing lyrics and super personal songs. And like, I also got that feeling of like, oh, like I could do this you know, which is a really special combination. Um, I, back then I, I also really loved St. Vincent and Tune Yards. Um, these days I've been listening to like porches a whole lot and, uh, I love Bonnie Bear. Um, I love Vampire Weekend. Um, I've been listening to Brandy Carlisle a bunch. I think her voice is like a unicorn. Like it's insane. Um, I love Rubble Bucket. Yeah, I think could go on. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting that like, yeah, I mean, you went to school for like jazz and funk stuff, but then like all of your favorite things, like I guess you could say have like jazz and funk stuff maybe in there, but like it's not like you're saying that like, oh yeah, Herbie Hancock is my favorite artist ever. Like, <laughs> so I guess how does that play into the music that you are making? Pretty directly. Like, I think whenever I found that I like am really, really into an artist, I try to just kind of like write down some thoughts that I have about the way that they do things, whether it's like, I've never seen this before ever or just like they do this really special thing. Like for instance, Boney Bear like always has these lyrics that at the same time feel like very specific and um, random. <laughs> like they kind of feel like a, like a dream or like a memory like constructed in like a not like I said this, then you said this or a scene or a story like it just feels kind of jumbled in a way that nobody else's lyrics do and um I've like tried to do that I have like this this way of like copying the the intention I kind of yeah like I will um kind of line for line write down like what the what the lyric is doing for the song like what it means and so I kind of deconstruct it and then use that as like a map to write something new. Yeah, uh, I've noticed that, you know, you have these like methods in songwriting and and that's something I try to communicate with with other musicians about is that like songwriting is a skill on top of like an expression. And so how I guess how did you find these like tricks or methods and, and how have they helped you? <laughs> okay. Um, well, so I, I did start going to Berkeley for jazz and funk, but after my first year, I did end up switching to songwriting major. So I luckily got like a good chunk of experience with like how to write a song <laughs> and, um, feedback, um, which I'm still kind of like, 
wary of how they go about giving feedback to students. Sometimes it feels like a little bit um, like you're in a fishbowl and everyone is prodding you, <laughs> which is not, not the best. Um, but like, I, um, I think I started like collecting ways of writing just when I got stuck. And, um, I really, really love uh, Austin Cleon. He's this, um, I guess he's like a artist, book writer, cool person. Um, and he has written these square books. The first one is uh, Steal Like an Artist. And he wrote like two more. And uh, they're like so helpful, so inspiring. And they that is filled with like a lot of tips on how to like keep coming up with like different approaches. And I've definitely stolen a lot of his approaches. Like he gives an example of, you know, um, it's basically like a fan fiction for an artist you really love. Like, let's say they come up with a new album and you look at the, you look at all the, like the promo pictures and you look at the track listing and the title of the album and you write, what you think they wrote because you love them and you know you try to like match you know that kind of idea that's really cool <laughs> um what is a deep or nitty-gritty or advanced concept in your songwriting that you feel excited about or that you uh, it's a it's a detail that only you know is in there and that you wish other people knew that was in there. <laughs> I I think one thing that's just amazing and like everyone should mess around with it at least a little bit is speed of stuff. Like um Ben has done a whole like bunch of videos on like fake guitar, which is just like double speed or you know like 1.25 sped up and it makes everything sound very different and very different energy. Um, if you speed up your voice, it'll sound more fluttery. And if you slow it down, it'll sound really like grounded and dark. And that's like just a super useful skill to be able to like, even an entire track that's all done, just like boosting it like 5 BPM or something can give it this like new energy. Yeah. No, I did notice that in um, Beautiful and Tragic, the bridge, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. you recorded it at halftime and then played it back at double speed. And it does yep. something to your vibrato that's like, yeah. oh, man, like the human voice can't do that. But like, yeah. it sounds so cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it's so fun. <laughs> so why music? Why not anything else to do with our lives? <laughs> I think I've always like wondered like in a parallel universe if like what would have happened if I did visual art instead because I've also always had visual art in my life. I took like a really amazing class. Um, Berkeley has like a program with the school of MFA and so I just would bike over there a couple times a week and um yeah, it was like 
so informative to take this like really basic class that covered a bunch of mediums. But um, I, uh, I think like music is ended up being like what made the most sense all the time. Like what just like, I always like have really gotten along with and really understood other music people. And um, I think that I'm like a pretty quick learner and that, that like it, it's an, it's a, it's a field where you can just keep learning and keep learning. You know, I think visual art is too, where you can just like shift a few degrees over and then dive into a whole new world. And yeah, but I, at this point, I feel a pretty like split between those two things. And, um, I feel like when they come together, both of my work, it feels like the strongest. Yeah. Do you feel like there's something to that kind of outsider perspective since you haven't spent like as much time inside the visual art world necessarily? Like, do you think that that's a helpful perspective to have while looking at it? Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I think I think there's something that happens when you start identifying as a blank, like as a musician, as a visual artist, as an animator, um, where it's like both really liberating because like you can kind of give yourself that credit and be legit. But at the same time, there's this like weight to it where it now means everything that you make that is in this field has to be good because it represents who you are. And it's like someone, you know, the important person like who listens to your thing might only hear this one little snippet and even that has to be good. So you feel like your whole body of work has to be like the best and that kind of pressure really changes your relationship. But before that point, you're probably just learning and doing lessons and, you know, just and going in deeper and deeper. And I feel like we just kind of shoot ourselves in the foot once we get to that point. And so doing visual art again, like taking classes and like learning new mediums and things like that and feeling myself learn really helps me remember that that's what it's about <laughs> for music when I I hold a lot more baggage, I think, in the music part of myself. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's also a beautiful thing to be able to just like do something and not expect really anything Yeah, to, to just like, Hey, I made a thing, not because I'm the best at it or not because I'm going to change the world with it, but it, it's mine and I'm happy with it. <laughs> yeah. It's so, it's like, uh, I definitely don't hear people say that or feel that, um, except for the very, very, very beginning. And there's just, yeah, there's something really sad about like comparing 
you're like, when you start something, you're like, you're like a baby at it, right? You're like this little seedling. And often people stop because they are looking at their little seedling amount of knowledge and directly comparing it to something that has blossomed and bloomed for years, you know? And it's just like, that's not fair at all. Can we just like have a different category for this? Have some space? I've had two years of piano lessons and I'm not Jacob Collier yet. What is wrong? (laughs) (laughs) What's something people don't normally know about you? I think most people wouldn't know that I uh, really like psychology and that I like listen to books and podcasts about it all the time. Yeah. (laughs) What's, What's been your jam lately on psychology podcast. All right. Um, well, I love uh, Brittany Brown. Um, yeah. she, you know her. Yeah. <laughs> she's, she's amazing. I especially love her podcast, Unlocking Us, where she interviews like specialists in all these different areas and um, is like so refreshingly interested in them and what they have taught her and what they have to teach her. And um, she's like such a nerd. Like she's so excited and has like a binder full of questions and like um, really does her homework. And it's just, it's so wonderful to hear someone just like so excited to learn from someone. And um, those are like pretty much all of them are amazing. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Last question on this front, and then we'll get into the deep questions. Uh, What advice do you have for people that are wanting to do what you do? Hmm. I would say find the people who are doing similar things, who you can befriend and um, like do things together. Like, Um, I highly recommend The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. And uh, it's like a 12-week course where uh, it's like you you write, you journal like every day, take yourself out once a week by yourself to do something enjoyable. And uh, then there's all these different like tasks and questions to answer about like where you've gotten creatively blocked and um, what goes on in your head while you're trying to like have a nice time. <laughs> like who who in your past is like in there telling you not to. And um, yeah, it's, it's amazing. Super transformative. And um, uh, I would say also like, finding things to do regularly, just even small things like some routine that like gives you a sense of like self and purpose and regularity has has really helped me like um, build on that and find things that I can do where, you know, like whether it's journaling or yoga or going for bike rides or whatever. Yeah. Awesome. 
Switching gears into the questions that make bit depth bit depth. What is the role of spirituality or religion in your life? I would say largely because of the artist's way. I've become like a lot less closed to a lot of things. And also because of Elizabeth Gilbert. Um, she's also an author who wrote Eat, Pray, Love. Um, it's like her biggest thing. But she's she also wrote a book on creativity um, and has, you know, written another, like a ton of amazing stuff. And every time she speaks, it's amazing. Um, uh, I think like, yeah, I think where I came from growing up was like, I definitely didn't feel like anything magical was happening and didn't feel any presence or anything like that um and kind of found comfort in like my idea that god wasn't real and then as i got older um i just i just like kept questioning that and i love um in the artist's way julie cameron has a whole thing about um synchronicity and like I think it's this beautiful thing for people like me who are like, okay, like a little bit more skeptical where she says like, you know, she gives you an example of someone who has like been journaling a lot and they've been finding like, wow, like I think I might be interested in this field that I had never considered before, but like here it is coming up day in, day in, day over and over and over again. Um, I think I need to be a filmmaker. And then a few days later, you're at a dinner party, say next to a person who teaches filmmaking class. And they say, I have another spot. Uh, you can come and join my class if you want. And you're too shy or something to like take that opportunity or, you know, like people are funky. <laughs> so they like don't let themselves do the thing that is really clearly the thing that they want to be doing. And um, yeah, so I think the idea of like putting your thoughts and wishes for your life out into the world makes you notice when they happen. And um, I would say like also actually practicing like gratitude and self-compassion also gives you like a measure for like, wow, like I really wanted this thing to happen and look, it is happening. And if it weren't for this journal I got that like asks me to look at these things, I would have never even stopped and noticed that this amazing reality is now my life. And yeah, so I think, um, I think I believe in that as much as like, you know, people like go to like a place of worship or something to like think about their lives in that way. And um, yeah, I think, and I also like love um, like scary stories, which have like ghosts and demons a lot. And I, yeah, I think I, I, yeah, I feel like that's not usually included in the spiritual 
you know, realm, but I feel like it's just, I, yeah, I like, um, I like not knowing, uh, what, what there is. And I also like asking. Yeah. As you mentioned, just like the ghost thing, uh, I've had this realization cause like, I'm not religious at all either. I'm kind of, yeah, like I don't believe in God, but like I write about ghosts a lot. Like, why do I write about ghosts so much? <laughs> <laughs> what forms of spirituality or lack thereof did you grow up with? Um, very little. Um, yeah, my my parents both grew up in some like vein of Christianity, and my mom grew up in Catholicism and was like pretty sternly against it by the time I came on the scene and um but still I went to like a Catholic summer camp and um like it was a big deal in my family just because like I had like great aunts who like founded it and things like that um but yeah like it was always kind of just like a I feel uncomfortable right now this is really weird um and uh you know, in the last few years, I've actually uh, converted to Judaism. And like, that's like kind of a complicated side story. But um, I have also had like now a lot of experiences in like, you know, around the Jewish faith and going to services. And my favorite like part of Judaism is Passover. It's like this wonderful celebration in the spring um, where you eat two seders, which uh, I guess is like a really old school way because like they uh, in the U.S., this there's only supposed to be one, but because they weren't sure which one, which day it would be in Israel, they just would do two to like, to make sure they got it and it's um and it's a time you don't eat um like any leavened bread for like eight days and uh it's like it's really special full of like beautiful songs and what amazing food and like really different kinds of conversations and yeah I uh I don't remember your question. I love the paths that the questions bring us down anyway. And that's the point. (laughs) (laughs) What is your definition of God? I think my current definition would be the voice in your head that sounds like you that knows what you need to do. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> what do you think happens when we die? Ooh, um, I think s- stuff happens, but like, I think that not for everyone. I feel like I love um, in the Sandman series by Neil Gaiman, um, the version of hell that exists is the version that you imagine for yourself like the thing that you were afraid would happen and the kind of new like 
I've done all these terrible things. So the punishment will be, oh, I hope it's not this terrible thing. And then it is that terrible thing. Um, I, I, I think it changes all the time what I think will happen. And I think it's just like, I think some part of me is like, definitely nothing. Definitely it's over. Lights are out. You turn, you know, you turn to, you know, ash and rot and your bones stick around for a long time (laughs) and, um, things eat you and you become like part of the cycle. And then I'm like, but what about ghosts? And I feel like that also is like maybe a bunch of people being mistaken, a bunch of people's imagination being used, a bunch of people actually experiencing this and um, like possibly just like different realities getting like getting bled onto each other. I don't don't know. But um, I, I like that it's confusing and that nobody knows. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) How do you determine what good behavior is? Um, I mean, the, the whole like golden rule thing is like very, very real. I like, really actually think like what um what it would feel like if the thing that I just did or said happened to me and uh I try my best to make people comfortable yeah (laughs) and it really shouldn't be that hard should it (laughs) yeah I mean but it like at some point like there are so many of us you know, that like, I don't, you know, I don't have a better system than like the idea of the government, you know, like even though it sucks and fails so many people in so many ways, it's just like, I don't know how people could do better in telling people what to do. I mean, you can obviously see points where it's like, clearly this needs to change, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How do we reduce the division between people? I think, um, uh, I don't want to sound preachy. (laughs) Um, This is your soapbox. Okay. Um, Okay. I have had really, really powerful experiences um, meeting someone in a detention center who was there. Um, he, he was an immigrant fleeing from his country, looking, seeking asylum and was going to be killed for the language he spoke. And he was a professor and super funny and young and like could not believe like the reality of that situation. And, um, I have an amazing aunt and uncle who volunteer with immigrants in Arizona and I spent some time over there and made some meals for families and hung out with some kids and used like Google Translate a whole lot and just like those kinds of experiences for me have been the ones where the problems 
that I see in my communities where people are like feeling unhappy and unfulfilled um, stop making sense. And like, it, it just, for me, that has been like, oh, like, I got to do this more. <laughs> like this really, really makes you see it and know it. And I want to improve like an area of something. And maybe that thing for someone is like making a garden and a compost or listening to like a really inspiring book or, you know, like volunteering for, you know, a homeless shelter or, you know, something. But uh, I think uh, spending some amount of time, devoting some amount of time to like other people slash nature in the world, like it makes you better, I yeah. think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you believe humans are evil by nature? I think the outcome of like evil doing in quotes, because I don't really believe anything is like pure evil. Um, uh, I don't, I think that all, it all like makes sense. Like people get hurt because they're hurt. People are scary when they're scared. And um, I think that if, mental health and therapy was more of a priority and people actually knew like not just arithmetic and, and, um, you know, like language arts and things that you learn in school to be a good worker. But if people knew how to take care of themselves better and knew what signs to look for, for depression, anxiety, and knew how to go about figuring that out. I, I feel like we'd, uh, we'd all do a lot better. And I, I feel like we're headed in that direction. Yeah. Speaking of heading in a direction, what do you think humanity is heading towards in the future? I think we, I, I have like a lot of hope for um, like, like-minded, um, like artist type people, um, and in seeing like a little bit ahead, like I don't, I'm like sort of bad at remembering other people's quotes, but there's one that was like artists like live in the future or something like that a little bit. And, um, and like it was I don't remember it, but it was very cool. And I feel like um, we, our job truly is to be like kind of a, a guide for the rest of the people who just like are singing along with the chorus in their car, you know, like it just that, you know, that level of interest who are going and doing a different job, um, I think we, um, we have to think about like what, what all is happening, but not so much that we get drowned and suffocated by it because it is a very hard time, but it has seemed like a really hard time anytime you pay attention close enough. Um, so yeah, I think it's our it's our place to be 
helping people, making social media a better place to be, um, making like the, the world a little bit prettier and softer edges and more rounded. And, um, I have, yeah, I have a lot of hope about so many people's interests in like buying the green option, you know, and, um, you know, not continuing the the same cycle of, because it is completely unsustainable, but also just the fact that it doesn't have to be like lawfully enforced for people to not use like a a jug of laundry detergent, but instead use like a strip, you know, like that is helpful <laughs> that people don't need like, you know, a, a police car by the side of the highway being like, uh, did you do the thing? You know, like that would ever happen, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, maybe, but uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> the, my, follow up to that question is what are you optimistic about for our future? Uh, but it, you also kind of pretty much, uh, went over that. Is there anything you would like to add to that about the optimism for the future? Um, well, I think for my own sphere, I would say like me and lots of people I'm close with are super interested in, um, in like just the like the okay I've been listening a lot to this book um braiding sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer and uh it's super good uh she's an indigenous woman who's also an ecologist and she melds the two worlds and she's like also a poet and so it's amazing and um really makes me want to like compost and like have a garden that I eat from and like plant native plants and it also like just looking a few things up it's really amazing how like it's becoming like more of a thing and lots of people are doing that and my friends are doing things like that and it's just like yeah that that's exciting that like that way of treating the world actually works super well, like the best ever. And we've just separated all these really important pieces. Um, and now they don't work anymore. And when you just bring them back together, they work again. So that's exciting to me that like we have the the answer <laughs> to the puzzle at least on a personal individual level. Yeah. And it has always been here. <laughs> that answer has always been. Here. <laughs> yeah. Um, what makes you content? I think just like considering what like happens, like um, when I feel the most discontent is like when I keep thinking about something that I'm dreading or not being fast enough or something like that. And, um, the things that make me like very pleased is just realizing like, Oh, like this counts, even if it's just 
an errand, like the way I spend my time, it still counts, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, when will you be satisfied? Um, I mean, I feel pretty satisfied. <laughs> um, like I think, uh, I think I, I, I get like satisfaction, uh, in general when I am doing a few things that are like, help me move forward. And so those things could be like filling up the bucket by like taking in books and podcasts and art and movies and music. Um, and it also can be when I'm creating and making things and, you know, working with my hands and, uh, but like, yeah, I'm, I, I've got a very cool situation. <laughs> I, yeah, I live with the love of my life and a new love of my life, my dog. And, um, it's like, it, it's a really positive moment. Um, because I like where we lived before was a tiny apartment where it didn't get any direct sunlight and our bed was in the kitchen. So we'd each have a room to work in, but I would just go somewhere else to work all the time. So I can actually work here and the sun comes in and it's so nice. <laughs> like It's really amazing. Yeah. yeah. What a difference. Uh, the sun makes. <laughs> yeah. What advice do you have for people in general? I've been reading this book, um, or it's like another Julia Cameron course called The Listening Path. And it came out, I think, last year. And um, in it, she describes um, listening more deeply in all these different ways. So listening to like, in general, what are the sounds around you and what sounds do you tune out? And then there's a week on like listening in conversation and listening more deeply to not only the tone of the voice and the words being spoken, but also the body language and um, just like one piece of advice I could give is like, there's two like things that you can know truly <laughs> like if you are if you're like holding someone's attention and if if you like can believe their answer so um holding someone's attention um when someone isn't listening they uh, are staring and when they are they're blinking and like looking at you and looking around um and also if someone answers your question of like, what did you think of my art or something? And they answer in a really high pitched voice. They didn't like it. No matter if they're like, it's really good. So <laughs> those are two things, uh, two advice. So pieces of advice that you can use to determine people, what people really think. <laughs> yeah. That, that is actually really helpful. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Lastly, potentially most importantly, cake or pie? Oh, pie. What is best pie? Uh, my mom's blackberry pie is the best pie. Um, it's like 
it's like a crime. Blackberries everywhere in the country besides the Pacific Northwest. Um, I, there might, there probably are other places where blackberries grow and taste amazing, but like literally every blackberry I've had, except for one that I picked off a bush over here is so bad. And people think that's what blackberries are. And it's like, no, they're so good. And um, my mama just makes bomb pie. So there you go. That's it. (laughs) Jessica, thank you so much for doing this with me. Where can people find you and your things? Um, They can find me on YouTube. They can find me on Spotify, Bandcamp, Patreon. those are the main places. They can find me in Invent Me uh, when we tour around the world. <laughs> and um, yeah, that I think that's about it. Awesome. Uh, so yeah, once again, thank you so much. I'm Santiago Ramones. I'm Jessica Cayenne slash Jessica. What song is about to play at the end of this? <laughs> oh, is it, is it one of mine or it could be any song? I mean, it, uh, one of yours or <laughs> else, you know, okay. I, I need the consent you of the copyright it. holder. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's, that makes sense. Uh, maybe I show you.
You can find everything that I do on my website, SantiagoRamones.com. I make music and produce audio. The music you're hearing now is music I made. You can listen to official releases by Santiago Ramones on Spotify, Apple Music, and the other streaming places. Or you can support me directly by buying my music on Bandcamp. I'm working on Hypothetical, my first singer-songwriter album. So if you'd like to hear that at some point, there are lots of ways to support me on my website. There's a Discord server in which we discuss deep topics from the podcast, but it's also a community of beautiful human beings. All the links to all my things are on my website, SantiagoRamones.com. Please take a moment to rate and review the podcast. It would mean a lot to me to hear what you have to say, and it lets others know what to expect better than I could ever explain. I want to help the world have deeper conversations. So thank you for listening to and supporting BitDepth. I was in the podcast with my three things. They shape my life philosophy. Those three things are love never fails. It's going to be okay. I might be wrong.